I don't know of anything more appropriate for the message tonight than that song. Uh, it's kind of amazing the way God puts things together. Amen. Open your Bibles to Second Kings chapter number 6. And while you're turning there, you might just ask yourself this question, Do I ever struggle with fear? Do you ever feel like all of the odds are against you? Do you ever feel like you are just overwhelmed by your problems? Well, of course you do. We all do. At times in our life, we all feel exactly that way. And for that reason, this story that we are about to read tonight should be of great encouragement to each and every one of us. For many months now, on Sunday evenings, we've been speaking about the Lord God of Elijah, and Elijah is dead and gone, but the Lord God of Elijah is very much alive, and uh, we see that in this story here. A man in exactly the same situation that I've been talking about. All of the odds are against him. He feels overwhelmed. He is gripped by fear. So here's the story, beginning in verse number 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. The king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Amen. As we look at this story tonight, I want you to notice the concerns that he described. In verse number 8, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. This is a picture of conflict 
and confusion. Now, this really is amazing to me when you think back to what happened in chapter number 5. In chapter 5, you remember that Naaman the, the, the leper had been healed, and he was the captain of the army of the Syrians. And not only that, but after his healing, he recognized the God of the Jews as the only one true and living God. So here is a man that we would say experienced a spiritual awakening, a conversion in his life, and now the Syrians are about to attack the Israelites. And as I read this, I've just got to wonder to myself, where is Naaman? Where is he at? I mean, is he leading the charge? Is he out there with the other troops? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't go into any detail, but it's really amazing that the Syrians, having already seen this great demonstration of God's power and God's grace, that now they're suddenly ready to attack the Israelites. And it just goes to show us that regardless of how hard we try, we're always going to have enemies. Amen. You just can't do anything that will ever guarantee you a life free from enemies. And so we're reminded right here up front that just like them, we are locked in a spiritual warfare. And that's why it's so silly to turn the church into some kind of an entertainment center. That's exactly what's happening across the land today. We have forgotten that we're in a warfare. When I read Jason's letter this morning, I'm so glad that he worded that like he did and he acknowledged the fact that as believers we're in a warfare and this right here is the sword of the Spirit, folks. I mean, we've already been given our weapon and we've got a job to do. We are engaged in a fight and God forbid that we just sit back and entertain ourselves while the world is dying and going to hell. I don't think anybody enjoys warfare. At least they should not enjoy warfare. It's not fun and games. It's not playing paintball out here, running around in the woods like a bunch of Comanches and shooting at each other. That, that's not the way it is. This is real life stuff, folks. I mean, the devil is out to destroy us any way he can, and he is relentless. He never lets up day nor night. So Israel is involved in a warfare here. There's conflict and there's confusion. And notice what happens. The man of God intervenes because he knows everything that's going on. He knows all of the plans and the schemes of the king of Syria. So he says to the king of Israel, Now, whatever you do, don't go down that way. Don't go over there because the Syrians are waiting in an ambush for you. You know, it's a good thing that the king of Israel listened to the man of God. Do you realize there was a time in our early history in America to where the Christians and the clergy in particular served as the conscience of a nation? And you absolutely cannot believe the great influence that Christians had upon the founding of this nation. In fact, our very Constitution and, and from in Thomas Jefferson's own words as, he, as they put all of this together was highly influenced by 
Baptist churches and their practices there. I'll tell you, we don't have much influence today, do we? The king of Israel listened to the man of God, and they were spared not once, not twice, and it doesn't even tell us how many times. But again and again and again, they had been spared from an ambush simply because they listened to the Word of God. And we need to think about that because a lot of times we could be spared from a lot of heartache and a lot of damage had we just listened to the Word of God. No doubt every person in this building can think back to some time in their life where something happened that, that you regretted. And you thought to yourself later on, you know, if I had only listened to what God said, I could have spared myself all of that heartache. So while they're celebrating on this side, on the other side, they're scratching their head. They're wondering, what in the world is going on? Why, why all of a sudden we saw those folks coming down the road and all of a sudden they took a hard right or a hard left and why didn't they walk into the ambush? And finally the king of Syria said, well, there's only one answer to this, said, we've got a traitor amongst us somewhere. Somebody is tipping them off. Somebody's giving out the information. There is a spy in the camp. I mean, that's, you know, a logical deduction whenever you think about what is happening here, right? And that's what he thinks is going on. Here's what he didn't see. He didn't consider the God factor. And you see, that's why the world is so confused, because they do not factor God into the equation of life. They think, well, you know, this stuff, it just happened, you know. No, it didn't just happen. God's involved in the affairs of man. And so God is tipping off the preacher, and the preacher is telling the king, and that is sparing the people, you see. we just understood how important this old black book is, I, we'd listen to it a whole lot more. Amen. Now, now look at, again at verse 15, because here, the second thing, I want you to see his consternation declared. I mean, he's troubled at this point, and notice how he expresses his fear. Now, think about this. The servant of Elijah gets up early in the morning... Everything's going good. They have, they have averted the ambushes so far. He gets up in the morning. He maybe walks out on the front porch, a cup of coffee in his hand. Well, maybe not, but you know what I mean. He's expecting a good day. The birds are singing and this nice day, and all of a sudden he looks out there and the, the place is surrounded by the Syrian army. Everywhere he looks... They're soldiers. They're chariots. And all of a sudden, I mean, this guy is petrified. And I think you can understand why. They've got us now. We're surrounded. And notice that he expresses his fear in two ways. First of all, there's panic. He says, alas. That's an expression of pain. In other words, his emotions are stirred. He is gripped. By fear that he's in a state of panic, alas! But not just panic, there is perplexity also. 
He says to the servant, to the man of God, how shall we do? You know, it's scary to suddenly find yourself confronted with a life-threatening situation. He went to bed in peace. He awoke in panic. And now he's seen a problem that is far too big for him to handle. How in the world are we going to get out of this? You know, that situation reminds me of our situation today because we look around, we see corruption, we see conflict, we see confusion everywhere we turn. And to make matters worse, it's going to get worse. I mean, and if you know the Bible, you know that's true. It's going to get worse, folks. It's exactly what Paul said. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're seeing that. So it's going to get worse, not better. And from the fleshly point of view, I mean, this is overwhelming. And we've got to be careful that our fears don't get the best of us. That we just get so overwhelmed that we literally just give up. You see, fear can be a terrible thing. Fear is a murder. In other words, it kills our happiness. It is a thief because it robs us of peace. It's a bully because it makes cowards out of us. It's a despot that conquers us and enslaves us. It is a disease that weakens our entire system. Fear can have horrible effects upon us. There are a lot of people, you know, they try to dignify this, saying, well, you know, I'm not really fearful. I'm just a little apprehensive. You know, i got this anxiety and, and, you know, whatever. We put all these fancy labels on it. But when you're talking about worry and anxiety and all of those things, it gets right back down to the fear that is in our heart, the fear that we're not going to be able to cope, the fear that, you know, that our needs are not going to be met, the fear that we're not going to survive the situation. And we need to learn right up front to stop trying to justify our fears by magnifying the severity of the problem. And you hear people do this all of the time, don't you? Well, you know, this this is not just a little problem. This is a real, you know, gigantic problem. And and after a while, we're magnifying the problem till we blow it completely out of proportion and we're focused in on the problem instead of God. You see, there is no problem that's too big for God. He's able to do exceeding, abundant, above all that we could ever even ask or think. But here is a man gripped by fear. There's panic. There's perplexity. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't see any way out. Let me tell you, if you haven't ever been there, you will be someday. It might have to do with a domestic problem, a vocational problem, a spiritual problem, a physical problem, a financial problem. But in some way or another, you're going to find yourself right there, locked in the grip of fear, seeing no way out. But here's the remarkable thing. In all of this, we see, thirdly, his confidence developed. As we examine these verses, we find four things that led to the development of his confidence and his courage. And that's what we need in the face of fear, right? We need confidence to go on. We need courage to accept the challenge. Now, notice these four things. First of all, there is the involvement of another. This man's not alone in this situation. He has Elisha at his side. And I'll tell you, that makes a difference. I said this morning that we all need each other. 
And it's always encouraging to know that somebody is there with you in a time of need. Now, let me, let me just interject a side note here in this message. Many times, you know, people are alone in their problems because they have been guilty of shutting other people out. They don't have friends simply because they don't try to be a friend. Now, remember this. This man is Elisha's servant. If you want the help of others, make yourself a servant to others. I just thought I'd mention that because there are a lot of folks always complaining about the lack of help that they receive from others when they offer no help to others. And remember, you reap what you sow. If you're not there for others, if you don't cultivate friendships, if you don't help other people, what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself isolated in a corner, cowing down in fear without anybody there to help you. And you need to think about that. This man is serving God by serving the man of God. And as a result of that, we see that the man of God is involved in his life. We need to be involved in one another's lives. It seems like such a simple thing to say. You know, after the service tonight, we're going to have a sandwich supper, and that will give everybody an opportunity, you know, to, to get better acquainted. Whatever you do, don't huddle over there in a corner with somebody that you've known for 20 years. I mean, go, go out of your way to, you know, to, to meet somebody. Find someone you maybe you just met recently and find out about them and, and cultivate a relationship. And, you know, we talk about how important that is, but, folks, we... You, you can't force people to do that. They have got to see the need of them being involved in other people's lives and other people being involved in their life. And you're going to pay a price if you just isolate yourself on an island somewhere. We need others. That's part of the process of this man's confidence being developed so that he's able to overcome the fear that's gripping his heart the involvement of another. But secondly, not only is there the involvement of another, there, there is the instruction from another. And notice two things about this. First of all, there is a clear command. The man of God said in verse 16, Fear not. That's a command. And it's a command that's often repeated throughout the Word of God. Now, since that is a command then excessive fear becomes sin. Why? Why is it such a big deal? It's a big deal because it reveals our distrust in God. It's like saying, well, Lord, you're just not able to take care of us. Lord, you're not able to solve this problem. Lord, you're not able to meet this need. And I want to tell you, God takes that serious. Faith pleases God. Why? Because it magnifies the Lord. So there's a clear command. I wonder, are we listening to that command? Fear not. And I keep thinking about, you know, what Paul said there in Philippians chapter 4, you know, where basically what he's saying is, hey, don't worry about anything. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. And, and we look at the severity of our problem and we think, man, how can I not be troubled? I mean, how can I not be worried? Why wouldn't I be afraid? And here we go. We start trying to rationalize our fears and just, you know, come up with some excuse for them. Then notice there's a word of assurance. 
Now, this is good because the man of God didn't just say, look, get over your fear. He, he, he didn't stop there. He goes on and gives a word of assurance. And a lot of times in our preaching, we preachers are guilty of just saying, look, do this or don't do that. And we just leave it there without any instruction as to how that is to come about. I'm really thankful for this second part. Notice what he says. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I've got to tell you, that had to seem impossible to this servant, but it was true. I mean, this is, this is more than just mere positive thinking, folks. This is something that's based on a revelation from God. God had revealed to the man of God the true nature of the situation. And here the man of God is saying to the people, look, you don't need to worry. There's more on our side than is on their side. And that's a statement of fact. I, I wish I had time to read all of the verses associated with this. Turn over to Psalm 68 for just a minute. I want you to notice here in Psalm 68 and verse number 17, and I mean, this ought to thrill every believer's heart. It says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. And then look in Psalm 91 and verse number 11, and this could go on and on and on through the Bible. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways. Isn't that wonderful to know that we have those precious promises from God that they're, that he's given angels charge over us. That is that they're standing guard around us. And you can't see them. You can't hear them. You can't reach out and touch them. But they're there. They are ministering spirits. That's just exciting to me. And it's something that seems so unreal because there's no way we can detect this with our five senses. But we're not living by our five senses. We're living by what? Faith. And that's what makes all of the difference in the world. Now you say, well, preacher, I I, I just don't have that much faith though. Well, listen, you're at a good place. You're admitting you don't have enough faith. And here's the answer. You can get more. Amen. You say, well, how, how, you know, I, I wish I had as much faith as old so-and-so. Well, you can get it right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. So if you're lacking in faith, you know, it's, it, you can't blame God for that. You can't blame somebody else for it. God's given you the remedy for the problem. Now, here's another thing as you think about this. That here the the man of God is giving him instruction, and here's the good thing about it. Let's look at it from the standpoint of Elisha, the man of God. You can help other people have a positive attitude that is developed out of your faith in God. Am I making sense? Maybe not. I mean, the servant of God, he's wringing his hands and he comes back in and there are beads of sweat on his brow and he says to Elisha, he says, wow, you're not going to believe this, but we are trapped. We are doomed. They are all around us. 
The, the, the Syrian army is all around us. There are chariots out there. I mean, we are in the biggest mess we've ever been in, and there's no way to get out of it. <laughs> what do you suppose he would have done had Elisha panicked and said, Whoa, I don't know what we're going to do. I didn't know it was going to come to this. He had more than a positive attitude. He had faith in God, and that helped the servant deal with the problem. What I'm trying to say is you always need a calm head when problems have arisen. That's in the church or the family. Somebody's got to keep it together. And you can minister to other people as a result of your positive attitude that has grown out of your faith in God. Let's help each other in that regard. Thirdly, we see that not just the involvement of another and the instruction of another, but we see intercession by another. Notice what happens in verse number 17 in the first part of the verse. And Elisha panicked. No, he didn't. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. You know, I really do believe that most of the time we underestimate the value of intercessory prayer. Amen. The great importance of praying one for another. Let me tell you, getting the right people praying for you is crucial. Don't you ever hesitate to make a prayer request. Don't, don't do that. I mean, if you know somebody that is godly, you know somebody that loves the Lord, that's faithful to God, you need to go to them and say, look, I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going through, but I'm just in a crisis right now in my life, and I really do need your prayers. And you shouldn't hesitate whenever the church is, you know, taking prayer requests to say, look, I've got a request. I I'm in a state of panic. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm gripped by fear. Would you please pray for me? Think about it. Elisha praying for him. It's good to get people praying for you. And let's not neglect to pray for others, by the way. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? If prayer can really deliver someone from their fears, if prayer can really help someone have their needs met, why in the world would we just sit back idle and say, you know, well, I, I hope they get out of this mess. Intercessory prayer. Oh, how we need that. Then there's something else. There was illumination. Now, listen carefully. I've, I've been talking about three different things that came from another. There's the involvement, there's the instruction, there's the intercession. But now I'm talking about the illumination that comes from God. Look at the last part of verse 17. And the Lord. Now this is not what Elisha's doing. This is something nobody else can do. Amen. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see, there's only so much that man can do for us. And it's God alone that can meet our deepest needs. 
You know, normally the spirit world is invisible to the natural eye. But that doesn't mean it's unreal. It's very real. And all of this time, there's been the army of the Lord and the chariots of fire out there around them, protecting them. And they don't even know it. Wow, if we, if we just knew what God was doing, I, we wouldn't have any reason to fear whatsoever. I don't mind telling you, I, I pray every every night. I pray for the safety of my family and, and many of my friends. I pray for them that God will protect them as they sleep that evening. And I'm so glad that I can do that and have the assurance of God's Word that, that His angels, and boy, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that the angels of the Lord might encamp round about our troops over there and that Amen. keep them safe, you see. And they are. This story is just showing us the all-sufficiency of God. Now, think about it. Invisible to the natural eye, but the child of God is under constant surveillance and protective custody. Think about that. Constant surveillance. God never takes His eye off of you, and He has you in protective custody. Nobody can get to you unless they come through God. Many years ago, there was a popular preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. I've read many of his books in years gone by. And a woman came to Dr. Morgan and she said, Dr. Morgan, do you think that we should pray about little things or just about big problems? And here was the answer. He said, Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? (laughs) <laughs> nothing's big to God. Amen. I've often said God, to do whatever He does, He doesn't have to strain whatsoever. It's just so easy. He can create the heavens and the earth and everything just by the spoken word. He just speaks and it's done. No problem too big for God because there's no problem big to God. Wow, what... We sing that chorus, What a mighty God we serve. Boy, is that ever right. Here's the bottom line. This is where I'm going to leave you tonight. God can take care of you regardless of the circumstances. Doesn't make any difference how bad things get. You know, we can wring our hands and we can fret and we can worry about, you know, is all of this going to work out? How are we going to put the pieces together? What's the final product going to look like? And I, listen, I've been guilty of, of doing that at times. And thinking to myself, you know, I've got to figure all of this out ahead of time. And by the way, I believe in planning. Not anything wrong with planning. Of course not. But there's just some things that we don't know But never fear, God knows exactly how it's going to play out. Have you ever thought about Moses? And uh, wow, what a remarkable story. I mean, here was a man that was just, uh, well, like somebody said for the first years of his life, first 40 years, he was a somebody. He's the grandson of Pharaoh. He is a somebody. The next 40 years, there he is out there in the wilderness, and he is a nobody. Now, two-thirds of his life is gone. He's 80 years old. Forty years as somebody, forty years as a nobody, 
And the last 40 years, God showed the world that He can take a nobody and make somebody out of Him. And God can do that with anyone. So how is it that Moses was able to endure all, all of the stuff he went through? Can you imagine being the pastor of the first, <laughs> the first Jewish church of the wilderness? And my land of living. I mean, you know, we preachers complain today about how difficult it is sometimes, but it's not anything like that. Those people never quit murmuring and complaining. And he never resigned. And I've often wondered how in the world that man kept going. You know, the Bible tells us exactly how he kept going. It says in Hebrews 11, he endured. How did he do that? He endured by seeing him who is invisible. And folks, the only thing that will keep you going, the only thing that will enable you to conquer your fears and work through your problems, the only thing that will make you victorious is keeping your eyes on Him. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. You walk out that door tonight, don't you worry. There are more for us than those that are against us. We are on the winning side. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from the victory because Jesus Christ already won it. Amen. And we need to claim it. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Father, now use Your Word tonight to change our lives. Help us, Lord. And if we're honest, all of us would have to admit that there are times that we're just in a state of panic, just like that servant. And we're perplexed. We don't know what to do. We worry and we fret. Lord, forgive us of our failures in that area and help us tonight to be strengthened by Your Word. Help us, Lord, to be involved in the lives of other people and to pray for one another and to realize that the bottom line is that You are the only one that ultimately can meet our needs. So may we not fret about the bad economy, even the bad report from the doctor, or anything else that we're going through, make us ever aware of the fact that we are on a battlefield, not a playground. We're going to get bumps and bruises, and we're going to get hurt, and at times it's going to seem like it's going to seem like that defeat is certain. And remind us in those times of the things that our natural eye cannot see. They're more for us than against us in Jesus' name.